Welcome to Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. I'm Salwa Khan. For most of us, plastic bags, water bottles, toys, spoons, straws, and many more items made from plastic are part of our everyday lives. We don't generally give them much thought. Plastic, which is made from fossil fuels, are so ingrained in our lives that even though we may have heard the horror stories of massive plastic pollution of our oceans, and even though we know there are masses of plastic items in landfills that will not disintegrate for literally a thousand years or more, we still continue to use plastics every day. While we may use some plastic items for a few years, there are many items that are used only once and then thrown away. Think water bottles, plastic grocery store bags, or the bags we use in the store to bag our apples or tomatoes. Ah, you say, but I care about the environment and I put plastic items into my recycling bin. That is a good practice, but unfortunately, most plastic from those bins is never recycled. The EPA says about 9% of plastics are actually recycled. And yes, the rest goes to the landfill, where it will sit practically forever. My guest, Rebecca Prince-Ruiz, is a truly remarkable woman who lives in Australia and who began a worldwide movement where millions of people have gone plastic-free for a month. It's a start on the road to questioning our use of plastics, especially those that are used only once, called single-use plastic. So uh, I'd like to begin by welcoming you to Mothering Earth um, and uh, start with your amazing story because you've been able to inspire literally millions of people around the world to listen to what you say about plastics and then to take the challenge of cutting back on the use of single-use plastics. Was there an event in your life that drove you to start speaking out about this issue? Yes, there was. Well, it was really an event in my life that drove me to start changing my own behaviour, and Mm -hmm. that was back in 2011 when I visited what they call a materials recovery facility where my recycling goes when it's collected from my curbside bin each fortnight and you know we talk about throwing our rubbish away but we never really think about where it goes and what happens to it and I knew what my waste looked like but going to that facility where they sorted out the paper from the plastic and metal and glass and then they bail it up to be exported for recycling seeing my waste with my neighbours and everyone in my street and my suburb, I was just really blown away by the sheer volume of waste and the enormity of, and it was recycling and I'd always felt, you know, I'd always consciously tried to cut back on my landfill waste on my trash, but I felt okay about recycling and I, I think I actually felt good the fuller my recycling bin was, but seeing that huge volume and then the complex energy intensive process to deal with it made me realize I that what I was doing wasn't okay and there made me question that I could make other choices and and do things differently and it really just started with that 
that aha moment that I had when I saw this waste and then take action on that. And so what was the first thing you did? So the first thing that I did was um, I can't remember thinking too much about it actually uh, uh, that afternoon but then that night after dinner and I went to put out the recycling uh, in our bin and I just looked at this item, I think it was a plastic yogurt tub, and I knew where it was going. I could picture it. I could smell it still, actually. I could kind of still feel it on my clothes. And I suddenly thought, like, this, I realised this is a material that's going to last forever. I know what's going to happen to it. We've only used it for a couple of days. What other choices could I have made? So I decided... I'm quite spontaneous and I was working for the local government at the time in sustainability and waste education and I went into work the next day and I just spontaneously said to my two colleagues, I'm going to go single-use plastic-free next month. Who wants to join me? And it really was as simple as that. There was no more thought than a spontaneous decision to see what I could do differently in my own life. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and I'm here today with Rebecca Prince Ruiz, founder of Plastic Free July. The, the issue with plastics uh, makes me think of an octopus because it has all these legs, and none of them are particularly attractive. So there's the issue of plastic, what plastic is made from, and and the energy and carbon emissions from factories, and then there's the fla- uh, fact that plastic does not decay or break down. And as you were just talking about, uh, all that stuff and the recycling and that plastic that ends up in the oceans and and kills wildlife, um, plastic in landfills. So I I wanted to go into all these issues in a little bit of depth, starting with the manufacture of plastics. So um, what I think I'd never even thought about, and most of us don't realize, is that plastics are made from fossil fuels. They're typically made from oil and gas. And they were when they were invented a little over 100 years ago, they were invented, they were never invented to be, um, the material was never invented to be single use or disposable. So they, it was designed to make durable lasting goods and it was replacing things like ivory and tortoise shell. So there were some great benefits of it. But the increasingly, so since the Second World War, the increase in production that happened with the war effort meant that there was all of this supply and they basically created the demand and that's when it started being used for these single-use products. And the reason that plastic is such a useful material is that it's cheap to make a lot of it like the Mm -hmm. polyethylene that the plastic bags are made from is a byproduct of the petroleum industry it's very cheap it's very durable it's lightweight and it can take lots of different forms and all of those reasons that makes it a useful material are the same reasons and properties that make it very problematic in our landfills and in our environment, in our waste management systems and in, and in our environment. So we manufacture it into all of these different goods, increasingly single-use items, but our, our waste management systems and our collection systems haven't kept pace with that. 
Um, look, everything, yes, there are carbon emissions from factories that are producing it, but everything, every product that we buy and that we use, everything that we manufacture has a footprint, uh, whether that's the water or the energy that's used to make that. The, the challenge with the plastic bag is what happens to it at the end of its life and the terrible consequences when it ends up in our environment and impacting our, our wildlife. And the um, unlike organic material or paper, plastic doesn't break down. It breaks up and it breaks up into smaller and smaller pieces. And when it, because it's lightweight, as I said before, because we're using so much of it, particularly in public places, it's easy to, yes, there is intentional littering, but then there's also, it blows away so easily. And when it gets into our environment, the ocean is downstream from everywhere. So it washes into streams and creeks and rivers and ends up in the ocean or our stormwater drainage systems and that's where the biggest impact on our wildlife occurs it can entangle marine wildlife they can ingest it and there's also toxic effects from the chemicals that are actually in the those plastics as well so it 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 doesn't go away there's just, as you say, it's like an octopus with all those legs. There's so many, there's as many, there's more challenges to what happens to it after its useful life as mm. as there is uses and values for this material. So there's the, the way that we're using it is, I think, more of the challenge than the material in itself. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and I'm here today with Rebecca Prince-Ruiz, founder of Plastic Free July, uh, and we are talking about the issue of plastics. And you started off your uh, story with a visit to a recycling plant, uh, and many of us recycle plastics, and we think, as you did, that we're helping to minimize uh, the effect of plastic on the environment. Uh, but you think about that in a different way and some of that you explained. Um, is there is there any more you can tell us about that? We produced more plastic in the first decade, decade of this century than the entire last century. So we're producing it uh, in ever-increasing amounts, so much so that the World Economic Forum estimates that our production will almost quadruple by 2050. And our while the, the rates of production have increased exponentially, the recycling hasn't kept up with it. And it's not that recycling isn't important. It's absolutely important. We should recycle. We should follow the guides in our local area. If we're fortunate enough to have recycling, we should try and purchase goods made from recycled content but we have of all the plastic that has ever been made we have recycled nine percent that means that 91 percent is either in our landfills or in our environment somewhere and then of that nine percent we've only recycled about 10 percent of that more than once so 
this production, if we look at the, the difference between this ever-increasing production with this fairly stagnant recycling rate, which really hasn't changed since the 1950s of only 9%, what that made, those figures made me realise in going to these facilities, we just cannot recycle our way out of this problem. It's part of the solution, but we have to significantly reduce the amount that we're using and rethink how we're using it as well. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, here today with Rebecca Prince-Ruiz, founder of Plastic Free July, and we're about to take a short break. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and we're back now with Rebecca Prince-Ruiz, founder of Plastic Free July. I'm guessing the plastics that we think we're recycling, a lot of that will simply end up in the landfill. Well, look, it really depends. So not all plastics are equal. I'm not mm-hmm. sure of the current um, recycling rates in your country, but typically in most places. So we have these plastics numbers one to seven. So number one is mm-hmm. the PET, which is in the soft drink or the soda bottles or what plastic water bottles. And number two is that can, typically the white plastic, the um, HDPE that, that uh, milk comes in. So those two plastics, so they're the little numbers in the triangular recycling system of the chasing arrows on the bottom of a lot of our packaging. So mm. numbers one and two typically are very valuable they have typically high recycling rates, whereas you start to get into numbers three, four, five, six, and then you get to seven. We're thinking about seven is just other plastic, which involves thousands of types or plastics like the expanded polystyrene foam Mm. that's in our clamshells or packaging peanuts. They're very low-value materials. And, And the value is a reflection on... The demand for that material and it's it's a commodity so like mm-hmm. any commodities like minerals or like um, grain or oil and gas the price varies and so these recyclers can only sell and afford to process materials that they're going to get value for so um, yeah it's only a couple of those plastics that that have that value and then um, when we start to look at materials like paper or aluminium or steel, they're much that you know they have much higher values for for recycling. So it's um, we need to make sure not only that all plastics are technically technically recyclable, most plastics are technically recyclable, but the question isn't are they recyclable. The question needs to be. Will they be recycled? And the answer to a lot of that is no. You spoke earlier about uh, how you how the idea of going plastic free came to you, but then how did you, I guess, translate that into a movement? So I call it an accidental movement because I never set out to change anything but my own behaviour. So when I went to work the next day and said to my colleagues Amy and Nabila, "Do you want to?" join me so they joined in and there were some of our volunteers so there were about 40 of us that gave it a go 
back in 2011. And I visited that recycling facility at the end of June and July just happened to be the next month. So there are about these 40 people at the end of that month we came together and we had a little bit of a bit of a celebration and we all brought our dilemma bags with the plastics we didn't manage to avoid that month and everyone actually felt really good because we'd you know we'd made a difference we'd cut down the waste in our bins and we'd felt good about it and so we decided to do it again and so it became this annual event on our calendar it spread just by word of mouth we in the second year we started using Facebook and sharing really photos of what we were doing and then other people who were doing it would send us a photo of a solution that they had found and it really just went um, it just went viral from there and people went from making changes to their own lives to starting to take the challenge into their communities and it became known as Plastic Free July. And each year we went from 40 people to 400 people to 4,000 people as we went from just a just a quick email I flicked out each week to using social media to making our own website, which was really a repository of ideas. And no one could have been more surprised than me as we've started to find that there were people outside our own city and the rest of our state. So I live in Perth, Western Australia, which is one of the most isolated capital cities in the world. And then people around our country began to do it. And then people around the world came to do it. And I never quite knew how it grew so big, but I'm so glad that it did. And we found like-minded people that wanted to make a difference. Right. Yeah, that's an amazing, amazing story. When we're talking about single-use plastic, let's talk about what exactly that is. So single-use is really the disposable plastics that we use just once or twice and throw away. So it's the, the plastic bags that we use as shopping bags or the produce bags that we put our fruit and vegetables in, Mm -hmm. the water, the plastic bottled water, the straws, the coffee cups, the food packaging, the takeaway, um, the takeaway containers. And we really just focused on, we didn't ever give people a list of what they had to do. Um, and we just focused on it was really that that the the packaging uh, by and large as well as the the bags and the straws etc rather than focusing on those types of durable reusable the long lasting types so it was really mm. the plastics that we we're putting in our recycling bin I guess or using when we're out in public when we're buying takeaway food. We, um, we actually, I think it was in the second or third year, came up with what we called the top four. So people could try and avoid all single-use plastics or do the top four challenge, which was the bags, water bottles, straws and coffee cups because 
at that time it was like we kind of needed to name it and for people to really know visually what we were talking about. And so as you're trying not to use these plastics, what what do you do instead? You mentioned some things such as buying bulk and using your own water bottle. Are there other uh, suggestions you have for people who would like to try this challenge? Yeah, look, so what I always suggest that people do is just start with one or two things. Look at the plastics in your life, look in your bin, look in your refrigerator, look in your pantry and just try and start with tackling one or two things. And we always encourage people to find reusable alternatives where they can. So I think when I first started trying to avoid the plastic produce bags in the supermarket I would just replace them with the paper bags that were in the store for the mushrooms and then I thought hang on a minute I don't want to just go from using 10 of these plastic bags to 10 paper bags instead so then I started juggling those and that got a bit a bit messy um, (laughs) and a bit of a challenge so then I found some netting produce bags and I've now got the same ones that I had when I started Plastic Free July 10 years ago. So those kinds of reusable alternatives, using beeswax wraps or putting food in Tupperware containers instead of using plastic film wrap, Um, taking your own containers if we go to buy fish or or meat or seafood or to the deli we will take our own containers there and ask for things to be to be put in those some some of the plastics that we get offered we don't actually need if we're just buying one or two items we can actually do without a a plastic shopping bag or if we don't have a reusable cup or at the moment, you know, not if we are fortunate enough to be able to go to a cafe. Um, <laughs> um, and I know that's very variable everywhere in the world right now, but if you don't have a reusable cup with you, then just sit down and dine in. There's other plastics that we can refuse, such as straws or sachets of sauce when we're buying food so Mm -hmm. it's not just about replacing one material type for the other is how can we reduce and there's there's so many creative ideas that I just never encountered or thought about one of my favorites is the replace when my plastic highlighter pen ran out I bought a pencil which has got a fluorescent lead in it and I'm still using the same one now 10 years on and it's never going to dry out and it's never going to run out at the right rate it's going either. So there's a lot of rethinking we can do. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan here with uh, Rebecca Prince-Ruiz, founder of Plastic Free July. Um, So at this point, how many people have taken the Plastic Free uh, July challenge? So the numbers are just I'm still trying to get my mind around the numbers. So this year we estimated that 326 million people around the world have taken the challenge. And this isn't people who have gone plastic-free. Like I am not plastic-free. We've managed to reduce a lot. But these are people who've made one or more changes in their life to reduce single-use plastic. And 
that's the plastic free just July story. It's not about a few people doing everything. It's about lots of people doing something. And I think that when that happens, that's when we really start to change the system and together make a real difference. Can you go ahead and present the Plastic Free July Challenge to our listeners in the US? So the Plastic Free July Challenge is now a global movement which helps millions of people to be part of the solution to plastic pollution for cleaner streets and oceans and beautiful communities. So we invite everyone to be part of Plastic Free July by choosing to refuse single-use plastics and you won't be alone but by doing it together we share lots of alternatives and great solutions that can become new habits and together we can make a difference. Take the Plastic Free Challenge. It's a great activity for schools, clubs, and groups of friends or family to do together. And no, you don't have to wait until July to do it. To get started, go to the website, which is plasticfreejuly.org. Rebecca Prince Ruiz also has a new book called Plastic Free that tells the remarkable story of this grassroots movement. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please tell people you know about this podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news.